Okay. Um, good morning. Um, I know a lot of you. I think I met some of you for the first time this morning, and um, it's been good to be with you just up to this point to, to worship with you and sing some songs and prayers to remember our Lord and Savior, His death and His burial and resurrection. Um, it's great to know that there are just so many places where Christians come together to meet of like mind and like faith and uh, are concerned about doing things according to the Scripture, about worshiping God and worshiping the King, knowing His name. Most of what we're going to talk about this morning is going to come from 1 Corinthians. Um, so if you want to go ahead and, and open up there, um, some of the scriptures we'll be talking about were actually already mentioned in the class this morning, uh, or alluded to in a couple of different ways. Um, but what I'd really like to talk about is the title of the sermon. Is the title of the sermon, uh, which everybody hates title, sermon titles mostly because they very rarely encapsulate what you're actually going to be talking about. But um, the, the idea in this, in this thought process is using what Paul wrote to the First Corinthians to consider how we can glorify God in gray areas. There are a lot of questions that we have about what should I do in this scenario? What should I do when this happens? How, you know, almost every crossroad that we come to in life, I can't turn to a verse and say, you know, this is where God told me to take this job or told me to move to this city or told me to do this or that. Um, I think a lot of people like to think that, like to think that God just tells them to go here or tells them to go there, just kind of gives them this epiphany. Um, I think why that's so prevalent today is uh, it's a lot easier to think like that because I can kind of push what I would like to do and then say, well, you can't tell me not to do it because God told me to do it. There's, there's some kind of defense that can be given there. And so it makes things a little bit easier. Um, I think the way Paul looked at decisions that needed to be made, it takes thinking. Um, it, it, it takes a process of looking at what God would have me to do. And maybe not even just from one angle. Um, I'll tell you the wrong question that we ask in a lot of things. And that's what we're going to start with. A lot of times the question is asked, if I do this thing, in and of itself, is it sin? And if I break that question down, if I look at the question, I can see right through that question. Because when I, what I say when I say, in and of itself, is this one thing that I really want to do, sin. In and of itself means if I squint hard enough and narrow it down to where nothing else matters around it, in and of itself, is this one thing sin? So what I've already told myself is one something I really want to do. Kind of regardless of what else is going on around, this is something I really want to do. And two, if I do it, I'm really not concerned with what that affects around that one thing or anything that might come out of that. I just want to know, can, can you point to a verse that says, Ryan, you can't do this thing. And that's the wrong way to look at the Scriptures. And that's something we talked about in the class this morning. When Jesus is telling them, you know, Moses let you do this because you were a hard heart. You, you had a hard heart. You wanted to say, in and of itself, can I write my wife a certificate of divorce? Well, Mo, Moses said we could. You know, we have this, we write this piece of paper. And it says, Jesus said, wrong way of looking at it. 
the wrong way. And so what I'd like to do is, is look in 1 Corinthians at five correct questions to ask. Um, these will be the five points. Write them down if you want to. When I get to the fifth one, you know we're pretty close to done. Um, but five proper questions to ask. And they're going to come basically right from what Paul says in 1 Corinthians about should I or should I not do whatever it is that I come to. And when I say glorifying God in gray areas, it's things that we mentioned before. Um, should I take this job? You know, should I go to this party or, or whatever it may be? Um, should I marry this person? You know, God doesn't say this is the soulmate that you're supposed to be married to. Marry that person. You know, should I marry this person? Um, in 1 Corinthians, should I eat meat? Should I eat meat of a certain kind? Should I eat meat that has a stigma attached to it? Um, and so Paul kind of uh, addresses that as well. So, wrong question. In and of itself, is this thing sin? If I narrow my focus close enough, I get to do what I want to do. Let's start with the first question, but we'll go ahead and read 1 Corinthians chapter 6, um, beginning there. Not all of 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Uh, specifically looking at verse 12. This is one of the passages that was alluded to this morning. Uh, where Paul says, all things are lawful to me. Which is one of the things, that, you can hand your wife a certificate of divorce under the, you know, the commandment that Moses gave. All things are lawful to me, but not all things are profitable. And he repeats this statement kind of at the end of a lot of what he's saying in chapter 10. Uh, in verse 23, he says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. So there's a, a contrast right there. What is the thing that he's looking for to say whether or not I should do it? Whether or not it's profitable. So the first question I ask myself, is this thing profitable? I don't mean monetarily, I mean is it spiritually profitable for me, myself, and my soul? And the way Paul looked at things, is it profitable for all those around me? That's kind of one of the other questions, so I don't want to go too far that way. But is this thing profitable? Um, we're seeking things that will bring spiritual gain. A, a prophet, not E-T, P-R-O-P-H-E-T, but P-R-O-F-I-T, something that brings profit doesn't just begin by you get a profit. It begins by investment. Investment is required for profit. So what Paul says here is, I'm not just going to invest in anything. Even some things that I might could point to a law and say, yeah, I can do that. If I look close enough, in and of itself, I can do this thing. What he says is, I'm going to invest myself in things that bring spiritual profit. In order to receive a profit from something, you're going to have to invest yourself in it. There, you may think of another passage that talks about something that is profitable. That may be something that's in your mind right now. Maybe it is. I hope it is, because then you're, you're going to my, to my next place. In 2 Timothy 3 and verse 16, we see a writing to Timothy that tells you about something that is extremely profitable. All Scripture is profitable to do certain things, to reprove, to rebuke, to make the man perfect, to complete a man. That's kind of a standard of measure that I would put up. Is something profitable? Scripture is profitable. It's worth investment. 
So when I have something that comes up to me, this, this is the way the question was, was posed to me. This is a stolen lesson, by the way, so if, if you think it's good, then I'll tell whoever I stole it from. Um, what if my daughter comes to me and says, I want to get my nose pierced, or I want to get a tattoo, or I want to date this guy? You know, what, what do I say to that? That's, that's kind of a gray area. I can't point to a passage that says, God says that piercing your ears is okay, but piercing your ear higher is not okay, or piercing your nose is, is not, you know. Do I, do I look at just some, I want to go through these five questions, and I want to say, if you look at these questions intently, and you can answer yes to all of these, and hopefully by the end, we have determined what's acceptable to God in doing this. Is this thing profitable to me? Is doing this something that's worth investing in? And that profit, that profit is something that is a spiritual profit. Can something be gained out of this in profit? And as we go through these, I'll also tell you, a lot of times there are two choices put between you, and you can answer yes to all five questions for both of those. Sometimes there is not a right and a wrong. There are two rights, and you choose which one you, you wish to choose but you need to be answering these questions first. First question is not, in and of itself, is this sin? The question is, is it profitable? One standard of measure I would point to is, Scripture is profitable. Okay? Now, in this same verse, we don't just have this idea of all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. He continues to say, all things are lawful for me, but... In chapter 6 and verse 12, I will not be mastered by anything. So there's a lot of things in this world, a lot of things that are good and really look good on the surface too. Even from a, a spiritual standpoint, I mean, you know, work is good. Um, you know, sports are good. Families are good. Uh, all these types of things are things that we invest in that we consider important. But... Paul says there are certain things that might master you, that, mi that might take you from your true master. And so Paul's kind of maybe second thing is all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. So the question I ask, is this thing profitable? The second question I'm going to ask myself, will this thing master me? Will this thing be something that controls me? And uh, I think about some of the things that we put a lot of emphasis in today. I mentioned jobs. Um, is my job something that is, is detracting from my ability to serve, to serve God? Is it something that's taking control over me to the point? I, I don't even like saying that, to the point. That's, that's like it's taking control, but only up to... No, is this thing take, taking control of me that I can't serve God the way I should be doing? If so, it has mastered me. And when I ask the question, should I take this job? And these are all things that I'm supposed to be looking with forethought, looking ahead to. Should I take this job? Is it going to master me? When I go into that interview, they say, you know, I'm sorry, you're going to have to work Sundays, and, uh, you know, we never know when it's going to be, and forget about, you know, being with your family and being a good father to them um, because you've you, you got stuff you've got to do here. And the company comes number one. If I go into an interview like that and I ask myself, will it master me? The answer is yes, it will master me. And the, the reply is no, I cannot take this job. Because I can say, 
taking a job where I have to work a lot in and of itself, is that sin? No, it's not. Taking this job that masters me is not profitable, is not right. It's not something that I need to be doing. So when I answer this question and I say, yes, this is going to master me, my answer needs to be no, I cannot do this thing. Um, I think about uh, parents um, as a new parent, so I'm definitely not the person to be speaking on this, but we think about the, the, the things that happen between parents and their children. You hear parents say a lot of times, I just want my child to have what's best. It's things that I didn't have growing up. I hear that a lot of times. Or, you know, I want my child to excel in school or excel in sports and all those kind of things. And we push our children to do these things so much that it becomes a master of them. Now, the only thing that the child talks about is, is baseball. The only thing that the child concerns himself with is how much homework have I been able to get done. Sorry, I, you know, gospel meeting, I can't be going to that. I have homework to do. And I, if I don't ace this test, then it might ruin the rest of my life. I can't do godly things because of that. School has mastered me if I do that. And, and if I push my children, if I push my children to do these things, it will become master of them. And not only that, it will not only have mastered them, but I will have sacrificed them to the altar of education, to the altar of sports. That's one of those things that we always think, we read in the Old Testament about how they made their children pass through the fire, they sacrificed, they sacrificed their children uh, to the altar of Molech. He said, how could anybody ever do that? that? That God has mastered them to the point that they have offered their own child on that altar. And then we turn around and we offer our children to education, and to sports, and to prosperity, and to popularity. That ought not be so. The only master we want our children to have is our King and Savior, Jesus Christ. So when I come to a decision, when I come to a crossroads and I say, is this thing something I should be doing? First question I ask, is this thing profitable? The second question I'm going to ask is, will this thing master me? And like I said, there are a lot of good things in this world that are good things to do. But in certain instances, they will become our master. And we will have lost our true master. We can't serve Christ and the things of this world. Okay, coming to the third question, which I think is one of the really big parts of what, um, what Paul is saying here throughout 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Paul is talking about liberty. He's saying, you know, there's, there's a lot of things that you have the liberty to do. You know, maybe he would say, there's a lot of things that in and of themselves are not sin. These are your liberties. And Paul had a lot of liberties that he didn't take. But in verses 8 through 12, he's specifically pointing to a reason not to take a liberty. And I think there's a question that comes before whether or not we should take that liberty. He's, um, he, he's talking about eating food. And he makes the statement that if a food was sacrificed to an idol or it was bought in this place or it looks like this, it really doesn't matter. We know that there's really no such thing as idols. Idols aren't really uh, gods. They're, you know, they don't hold sway over us. 
So when you go sit down and eat, you just go sit down and eat. You don't ask, was this sacrificed to an idol? I got to find out all the background of this meat before I eat it. But he says, there's a case, there's an instance where that's not okay. There's an instance where that is a problem. Um, he says in verse 8, Food will not commend us to God. We are neither the worse if we do not eat, nor the better if we do eat. It doesn't really matter. But take care that this liberty of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. That's the issue. The issue is that although this doesn't matter to me, it can be a stumbling block to a brother who is weak. And I think that's specifically what's being talked about here. Somebody that, that is a servant of Christ, but that doesn't have a full grasp and a full understanding. And, and this li- thing that you see as liberty, they see as sin. They see as wrong. Let's continue on, um, verse 10 and following. For if someone sees you, you who have knowledge, dining in an idol's temple, will not his conscience, if he is weak, be strengthened to eat things sacrificed to idols? For through your knowledge, he who is weak is ruined, and the brother for whose sake Christ died. And so, by sinning against the brethren and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food causes my brother to stumble, I will never eat meat again. What he says here is, it doesn't really matter if you eat the meat. He said, but there are, if, if there is a brother that has come out of idolatry, that says, if I ate this meat, I would be worshiping idols. And then you go and do this thing in front of him, and he sees it, he's going to say, I should eat meat sacrificed to idols. But he's not doing it because he knows it's right. So the question I have for myself is, will this thing cause my brother to stumble? That's my third question. Will this thing cause my brother to stumble? Because the problem here is that this brother is going to go, and he's going to sin against his conscience. Because he doesn't think this thing is right, he just sees me doing it, and therefore it's monkey see, monkey do. Such and such did it, so I'll do it. That's not the reason for us to do anything in the Scriptures. No. This, this preacher did this. This preacher said this. This man who I respect did this. There's no biblical foundation for that. Now, if I can look in the Scriptures and say, meat sacrificed to idols doesn't matter. God declared... All, all food clean whenever he said it's not what you eat but what comes out of the body that defiles a man. If I could look at that and say, okay, well, then it, then it doesn't matter. My faith is not hindered. My faith is what tells me I can eat this. Not, I saw somebody else do it, therefore I'm going to do it. But Paul doesn't put the blame on that person. He says that person is sinning. But he's not pointing to that person. He's pointing to us that would eat whenever that brother would be hindered by doing that thing. So we need to take care with our liberties. Um, this, this is an egregious sin. It's something that we studied Mark chapter 10. If we look back at Mark chapter 9, I think it was alluded to during, during the class today. He says, if, if, if anyone causes one of these little ones to stumble, and if you think about little ones, you know, maybe that could be considered immature in the faith, not, not growing, not to a spiritual maturity, but they are still young in the faith. If anyone causes one of these little ones to stumble, it would be better, as your consequence, that you would have this giant massive stone hung around your neck and that you would be cast into the sea. 
Causing a brother to stumble is a terrible, terrible thing. So when I'm about to do something, and I, I have to ask myself, does this thing ha- appear to be evil? Is it something that's going to look bad if, if my brother sees me doing it? Where it's going to say, I didn't think you could, you could go do that thing, but the, hey, they, they did it, so I'll go do it too. I think we have to concern ourselves with those things. And that is not an easy question to answer because you know what? There's a lot of things that some people believe one way is a sin and other people believe another way is a sin. I'll give you an example. Um, uh, the the uh, thought behind should I homeschool my kids or should I put my kids in public school? I cannot satisfy everybody with the way that I choose the answer to that. Okay, That's kind of something that it's not going to cause my brother to stumble if I do that one way or another. That's a bad example. That's something that I'm not, but, you know, maybe something like the idea, should I go see a rated R movie? Well, I mean, I can go see the movie. It's, it's really not that bad of a movie, and I'll shut all those things out that aren't going to. Now, I'm a strong Christian. I can handle that. Somebody else is going in to see the next Toy Story movie, and they see me walking into this movie that's loaded with all these things that are not proper, not right. Says, well, Ryan went into that movie. I'm going to go see that movie next week. Not because they know that it's okay, and I would debate whether that's okay or not anyways, but because they saw me doing it, and they themselves sin as a result of that. That is something that's placed on me. That's something that God says, you have caused a little one to stumble. And it's extremely important that I do not uh, go down that path. Um, in verse in chapter ten and verse twenty five through twenty nine, <clears throat> that's where Paul goes through this whole idea of eat things that are sold in the market without asking questions. Verse twenty six: For the earth is the Lord's and all it contains. If an unbeliever invites you, you want to go eat anything that is set before you without asking questions. But if anyone says to you, "This meat is sacrificed to idols," do not eat it for the sake of one, the one who informed you for conscience' sake. I mean, not your own conscience, but the other man's. For why is my freedom judged by another's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I slandered concerning that for which I give thanks? He says, if I eat this thing, then this person that just told me, hey, this was offered to idols, when they see me eat it, they're going to go, got him. He said that he was a Christian, but he ate this meat that was offered to idols. And so he says, to remove any possibility of that being a stumbling block to anybody else, to remove the possibility of that stopping your cause for Christ, when somebody tells you that, don't eat it. Paul says at the end of that chapter 8, in verses 12 through 13, he says, If food causes my brother to stumble, I will never eat meat again. That was Paul's resolve. If this is something that causes my brother to stumble, I will not do it, even if it's even if it's bacon. I love bacon. Okay, I think there's probably a lot of people that really love bacon. If something that I love, regardless of what it is, causes my brother to stumble, it would be better that I never, ever have that thing ever again. Never look at it, never see it, never smell it. Because the result of me causing my brother, brother to stumble, not the punishment, the result is that a soul can be lost. 
that the blood of Christ was shed for that man, and yet what I have done has caused a stumble to possibly pull that person away from Christ. And that's a terrible thing, to fight against the blood of Christ, to fight against the, uh, the death, burial, and resurrection that he gave for all. I don't want to be on the po- opposing side of that. So when I consider the things that I do in my life, I can't just look at what they mean for me. I have to look at what they mean to everybody around me. I can't do it in and of itself. I can't do that. Because there are people around me that see what I do, and it affects them. It will affect my family. It will affect those that I attend church with. It will affect those that maybe I don't even know, that, but that look up to me. As a, as a Christian or as a, a father or a husband, whatever it may be. I can cause them to stumble by doing such things. Paul says, ask that question. Will this cause my brother to stumble? If it will, I cannot do it. I cannot do it. Okay, so that's the first three questions. Fourth question that I need to ask myself. It comes from uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, verses 32 and 33. Verse 32 says, Give no offense either to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of the many, so that they may be saved. So we kind of are concluding a thought that we had on the last question, where we went through and we said, okay, if this, if this man who's an unbeliever tells you, this meat was sacrificed to idols and then puts it right before you, don't eat it. And the reason he says don't eat it is because it might be an offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God and it's going to hinder your ability to teach. If an unbeliever thinks that they have caught you in something, if they think that, that you know this is something that appears bad and they feel like they can get you in a certain way, and I would say this extends to our attitude in the workplace, our attitude in, in all circles of our life, the way that we're viewed by those that are around us that we desire to teach that we want to know Christ. If we make decisions that do not respect the way that they're going to view me as I try and teach them, then we have not asked the right questions. The things that I do in my life, if if I make decisions that will cause somebody to look at me and say, I'm not going to listen to that guy. Did you hear the way he talks about other people at work? I'm not going to listen to that guy. Did you hear what he did last weekend? Did you hear where he went yesterday? Did you hear what he does in his spare time? Did you hear how he treats his wife? Did you see how his children act? I'm not supposed to give offense to Jew or Greek or any man. But instead, I'm actually supposed to act in such a way that though men may revile me to an extent, eventually they're going to have to turn around and say, that's just a godly man. And that is my goal. Not to hinder my teaching, but to enhance my teaching. That I am not the stumbling block or the cause that these things are not making it through to those that I'm trying to teach. As teachers, as those trying to be examples, our desire is to get out of the way of the Word. Our desire is to not stop anything that God had to say. And if I live a life that isn't concerned about the way others view me, in regard to God's word, then I'm gonna I'm gonna not be able to accomplish that. I'm really not. Um, 
I heard a man say one time when I when he was preaching or leading in any kind of way, his desire was just to be like a pipe or a conduit. That he just kind of channeled everything in the right direction that God gave and then got out of the way of it. He didn't want to take anything away from it. He didn't want to put his own spin on it. He wanted to show people what God said. And it didn't matter if his name was Joe or John or Jack or Jill, whatever it was. He wanted people to get the word and only the word. But if we don't look like Christ, people aren't going to see Christ. They're going to see us. They're going to see us in the way that we live, in the way that we look. So I want to look like Christ. So the only thing people see when they see me is Jesus. And so I have to do that by asking the question, are the things that I do in life, will they hinder my ability to teach? Will they make me look like somebody that that can't be listened to, that can't be trusted as a Christian because it doesn't look like Jesus? And even if they were to revile me for a short time, they would eventually come to the conclusion that this man's just following God. And I can say everything that I want to say about him, but everything that he's doing is right out of God's word. And so they will glorify God in the day of his visitation, as the the scriptures tell us. Okay, so first four questions. Is it profitable? Second question, will it master me? Um, I don't remember what, what order I got them in. Third question, will it cause others to stumble? And fourth question, will it hinder my message to the lost? The last question really is a question that we've answered kind of through the whole thing. Uh, all these are subsets of what, uh, of what Paul says in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 31. We've kind of hit all around this passage. I think we've already read it once. But what Paul says is, whether then you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And the question that is hidden within all these first four questions that we've asked is, will what I'm doing glorify God? Can I speak God's name in doing this thing? Can I attach God to whatever it is that I'm doing? You know, should I go play basketball this weekend? Well, it depends. Are you going to act like Jesus when you play basketball? Are you going to, to concern yourself with others? Are you going to be contentious? Are you going to be concerned about how you look in front of everybody else and your only concern is that you, you know, shut that person down on the other side and that you score all the points for your team? If that's the way you're going to act, then no, you shouldn't go play basketball this weekend. But I can attach my name to, to going and playing basketball with some friends on Saturday by being humble, by being concerned with others, by doing things the way Christ would have me to do. So while basketball really has nothing to do with God's Word or Jesus, I can do that thing in such a way that it glorifies God. First thing I do when I step out on the court is a beautiful day God has blessed us with. That's speaking God's name. Regardless of what sphere I'm in, regardless of what people I'm around, I can glorify God in doing that. Go into an R movie. Let me speak God's name right now. It's kind of a lot harder. I think I might have to search pretty hard to find a movie that's you know riddled with language and nudity and inappropriate subjects. 
I don't see us attaching Jesus to that very easily. So the question is, can I ask those answers and ask those questions and answer them truthfully? What can I do to glorify God? Because in, in the end, that's really our purpose in, in all of life. Everything that we do, every action that we take, should be to the glory of God. They're not our own bodies that we have. It's not our own blessings that we've been given. These are things that are of God. I need to be using them to glorify God today. Because one day he's going to come back and he's going to say, all those things that I gave you and the time that I gave you and the opportunities that you had, you didn't use them right. You used them for yourself. You wanted to see if you could find in and of itself whether or not things were okay to do. Just like I think Richard mentioned during the class earlier, that's a wrong way to look at God's, God's Word. What, what can I do? What can I get away with? What kind of things can I have? The intent was really, what does God want me to do? What is the intention God has given on my life? And I think if we look at those things, we can see the areas that we can glorify God, and we can see the areas that we will not be glorifying God. But we have to answer truthfully. And it all begins with an understanding that God's Word is, is correct. God's way is best and not our own. God has left a way for us. He's prepared a way for us. He gave it to us, to us through His blood and through His sacrifice. And if I'm not willing to take that, if I'm not willing to receive the blessing of the blood of Christ, I might as well not even ask these other five questions because I really don't care about glorifying God. I care about myself. I care about the things that I can do in this life. So, when Jesus said in Mark chapter 8, if anyone wishes to follow me, he must deny himself and take his cross up and follow me. He was asking us, if anybody wants to glorify God, you've got to take your steps towards me and you've got to let go of yourself. In Romans chapter 6, that death, that death on the cross that Jesus alludes to right there is being buried with him. It's being buried with him in baptism. It's being taken uh, to be washed and to come up in newness of life and to be a new man that says, I don't care about myself anymore. I don't want to look and find things that I can do because they please me. I want to say, is this thing going to hurt my brother? Is this going to cause him to stumble? Is this going to hinder my ability to teach others? Is this going to have spiritual profit for me to do this? Is this going to glorify God? Those are the questions that I'm going to ask myself when I've determined that I'm going to deny myself and take up my cross and follow God. And so I know the invitation is always out. The invitation is always left to deny ourselves. And if we have somehow crept back into this desire to please self, give me the things that I want, which we have to evaluate on a daily basis, um, there is always the opportunity now to make the change, to get away from that. And if we haven't put on Christ in baptism, we don't care what God glorifying God means to us. We care about ourselves. So that invitation, I know, is always left. And believe it here today as well, that anybody that would like to baptize, anybody that would like to turn their life around, to deny themselves and glorify God for the rest of their life, every step of the way, uh, will go ahead and, and sing the song following the lesson right now as encouragement. <laughs>